The book of Shemos is called by the rabbis the book of redemption, the book of Geula. And it begins, uh, we know, it begins with B'nai Yisrael in the hands of Paro being enslaved and Paro embittering the lives of the Jews. We are quickly introduced to baby Moshe. Moshe grows up, he has to escape, and the Jews cry out from the terrible, terrible plight. Um, Moshe sees Hashem at the snet, the burning bush, and then the negotiation, continue, the negotiation begins. Because Hashem wants Moshe to lead the Jewish people, and Moshe doesn't want to let somebody else do it. And, um, you know, Moshe is not like, you know, today... You have a lot of politicians, and they all—they all, you know—they say that rather they'd rather not run. But it just they're doing it because you know their duty beckons, right? The, 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 uh, you know, none of these fantastic politicians are driven by their own personal ego. Um, it's only because they want to do what's right for the American people, right? But but when it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, he really doesn't want Moshe Rabbeinu. Really does not want to. He does not want. To um, to lead, but but Hashem says you have to lead, and when you get into a machlokas with Hashem, you lose, and so Moshe lost, and we won, and if you look at chapter four, chapter four, we're going to focus on some of the instructions that Hashem gives to Moshe. So pasuk kaf aleph. So Moshe, Moshe is told by Hashem in verse 19, go to, return to Mitzrayim. Now is the time to return. Because all the people that wanted to kill you, they're all gone. Moshe takes his wife, his children, he has them ride, he rides them on the donkey, he returns, he returns to Mitzrayim, Moshe takes the stick, and Hashem says to Moshe, there's a machlokas between the Ramban and the Evan Ezra when this instruction happens. According to the Ramban, according to the Evan Ezra, this took place when Moshe was still in Midian. Hashem is giving Moshe instructions. Remember, Moshe spent time in Midian. Why did he spend time in Midian? He ran away. And that's where he got married. So Hashem says to Moshe, Belech dechol ashuv when you are about to go to Egypt, look at all of these wonders that I've placed in your hand, which can ostensibly be referring to the miracles that Hashem had already readied Moshe with. If you go back a little bit in chapter 4, you'll see the famous Miracles, right, of the, st- of the stick turning into a snake and the, the water turning into blood and then his hand turning into leprosy. All of these wonders. So I've equipped you with wonders. And you should do them, perform, perform them before And I will harden his heart. And he will not send the people. The Amarta El Paro. And this is what you should say to Paro. This is what you should say to Paro. And it sounds like Rabosai, this is really this is the puzzle we're going to focus on. And it sounds like this is sort of like the very beginning of the conversation. Moshe, when you go to Paro, you're going to you're going to speak to him and you're going to, you know, put I'm going to give you the right words and all that. But at the end of the day, this is what you should say to him. Hashem. Thus says Hashem, Bini Bichori Yisrael. My son, Bichori, my firstborn son, Yisrael, is the Jewish people. My son, my firstborn son is the Jewish people. This is what you should tell Paro. In other words, it's a little bit strange. Moshe doesn't tell Paro right away, let my people go. doesn't tell him that. He says, I want to just tell you a little bit of history. In case you're not sure, the firstborn of the Jewish, of God, God's firstborn, is the Jewish people. Besides the fact 
that we, we can rightfully wonder why is that a piece of information that Paro needs to know? Why is that a piece of information that Paro needs to know? And we could also wonder exactly what that means, given the fact that there are how many nations in biblical sort of perspective? How many nations are there in total? Close. Very close. So close. 71. 71. Why do I say 71? Because there are 70 nations and the Jewish people. We are like, there's a famous expression you might have heard of, we are like a lamb among 70 wolves. Right? The 70 nations, if you take a look, when you have a chance, you'll see the 70 nations are delineated in chapter 10 in the book of Bereshit. And Arshko has a nice, tidy chart for you to look at the 70 nations. And all of the 70 nations are born before Avraham. So that's a pretty interesting firstborn. Lastborn, right? Not firstborn. What does it mean when we say the firstborn are the Jewish people? That's a very interesting comment. So first of all, we need to understand on a deep level what does the concept of B'ni B'chori Yisrael mean? What does that mean? And also, how does that jive with the fact? You see, you have there the chart? Yeah, page 47. Page 47. Thank you. Okay, so, uh, so um, you know, when I was, uh, some people here are familiar with, you know, many people that pray from, with the Arshko book, Arshko Siddur, right? So if you pray with it enough, you know what's on each page, right? So, Mincha begins on page 232. Right? And the first Kaddish is on page 52. And, you know, and, uh, and Shachri and, and Halal is on page 632. And Musa Rosh Hashanah is on page 644. Like a whole thing. If you, if you pray from it enough, it's not like I'm such a... just as it happens, you pray with enough. Right? So, uh, if, if, you, if you have the opportunity to look at the Arshkol Chumash, so that's uh, page 47 is the key page. The key page. The 70 nations. So, so... What does it mean that Klal Yisrael is the Bechor? We seem to be the last, the last out, right? And of course, Kiduri, as I'm saying this, is already thinking about Yaakov and Esav. He's already thinking about Yaakov and Esav, which is a very good thought, which we'll get to based on the Chassam Sofer in a, in, a, in a while. So what does it mean that he's the first? And why does he have to tell us the Paro? So that's an, another obvious question. Let's go a little bit further. Omar Elecha. And now Hashem is telling Moshe what you should say. Omar Elecha, Shalach et Bini v'yavdeni. And I say to you, I say to you, Paro, send my, let my, not people go, let my son go. Shalach et Bini. My son means Bnei Yisrael. V'yavdeni. Let them serve me. But you have refused to send him out. And if you do that, you should know. This is what Moshe is saying to Paro in the name of God. Paro, according to the Medrash, didn't have a child, did not have a son. Until, until later on. And God gave him a son, Dafka, according to the Medrash, Dafka, to be able to leverage this statement so that Paro should know that if you do not let the Jewish people out, they're my firstborn! If you don't let out my firstborn, then I will dispose of your firstborn, which of course is what we call in the lexicon, what type of idea is this? When when we pit, when we talk about the consequence in this way, what is this called? Revenge. There's a, a more of a more precise way here. Quid pro quo. What do we call that in Hebrew? Mida keneged mida. Says the Sforno. Says the Sforno. Kefiha mishpata eloki shehu mida keneged mida. That makas bechoros was the only punishment that Paro received. All the other makos, 
were not punishments. They might, might have seemed that way. But they were signs and wonders in order for them to do tshuva. But at this point, when makas b'choros will happen, the door is closed, tshuva is no longer an option, it's only punishment time. Until that point, all the other plagues can be, can be viewed as what? Can be viewed as being just in tshuva incentives. Tshuva incentives, right? Now, but I just want to make an interesting point. If you read the text carefully, right, it, would so- it sounds like the first thing that you should tell Paro is Bani B'chori Yisrael. That's the first thing. But it's interesting to point out that first of all, we never find that Moshe says that. We never find that Moshe says that to Paro. We never, we never find this explicitly in the text. But more than that, more than that, we only find the statement of Shalachet Bini, send my son, Vi'ya'avdeni, and he will serve me. And you will refuse. That's the, that is the apprising of the Makas Bechorus, telling Paro about the killing of the firstborn. Moshe, Moshe doesn't tell Paro that right away. Moshe only tells that to Paro. If you just want to take a look and I'll show it to you inside. Moshe only tells this to Paro at the very end, and page 346 in the article, when Hashem tells Moshe in. Chapter 11, I'll bring you one more plague. And verse 4, Moshe, Moshe says to Paro, All the firstborns are going to die, etc., etc. And that was it. So we don't, it's interesting, we don't find that this, even though it's presented here at the very beginning, we don't find that Moshe delivers the message of the plague of the firstborn until the very end. Until the very, and Moshe has many different Moshe has many different audiences with Paro, right? Not the first. I didn't count exactly how many, but certainly there's at least five or six audiences. But not until the end does he announce about the firstborn. So why does Hashem tell him right away? Or Achaim asks that question. Why does he tell it to him right away? Moshe maybe would have made a mistake. Maybe Moshe would, would, would not know. How does he, but Moshe doesn't, doesn't tell him until the very end. But yet God tells Moshe at the very beginning. God tells Moshe at the very beginning. Why? Why? Furthermore, Rashi here makes an extremely cryptic comment. Rashi over here, on, this is an amazing comment of Rashi, on Pasuk Bays, page 310, verse 22. Third line, the left column. Bini b'chori, bini b'chori, lashon gedula, language of greatness. Kemo afani b'chor etneu. Quote the pasuk in Tehillim. I will make him a b'chor. In other words, bini b'chori. This is my great nation. Umidrasho, but the medrash here says something interesting. Umidrasho. Kan chasam hakadosh baruch hu. Kan chasam hakadosh baruch hu. Al mechiras habechora. Here's where God signed on the sale of the birthright. This is where God gave His approval to the sale of the birthright. Shelokach Yaakov meEsav, which Yaakov took from Esav. In other words. Where do we know that God approved of the sale? We call, right, it says that Yaakov bought the birthright, but how do we know that, ya- that God considered him to be the Bechor? So it says, the Medrash, an amazing thing. From here we see that God approved of Yaakov's sale. This is it. I mean, until that time, like it was a, a doubt? Like, it's a very interesting comment that I should make, right? And in the language of the in the language of the Hassam Sofer, his father uh, gave me this set, and I, the first time I opened it up uh, was, was, was a few minutes ago, actually. So, uh, so the Hassam Sofer 
asks the question, he says, he says, Kan quotes Rashi, What's the connection between Esau and Yaakov and what's going on now? And then he asks our question. He says, how could it be that Yisrael is the Bukhar? Seventy nations preceded. So what's going on here? Yaakov is... Con- this, this is where... He- and until this point it wasn't? Doesn't Rashi here is... The Medrash here is very cryptic. Very cryptic. One more question. One more question. Rabbeinu Bechayai, student of the Ramban, asked a very fascinating question. If you look, and this is famous, if you look at the way it's formulated, when Moshe Rabbeinu says to Paro, let my blank go, right? So, the language of the text on page, in, in, uh, if you take a look at two points here. So, v- verse 23, Elecha Shalach es bini v'yavdeni. Shalach es bini. Shalach es bini. What should it have said? A little more precise, Avosa. Not send my, send my son, but rather send my, my Bechor. Send Shalach as Bechori. Shalach as Bechori. Send my Bechor. Send my, my, he's the one, right? In other words, can I ask a question? If B'nai Yisrael is a Bechor, if B'nai Yisrael is a Bechor, what does that imply about the rest of the nations? What does that imply about the rest of the nation? That they lost something? They're also children. That they're also children, right? But not the first. In the language of the Svarno, right? We're the Bechor. But he, the Svarno says, Alpha P, even though all the other nations will eventually serve God if somebody gets the door, even though all the, all the other nations, make sure the door is unlocked, you can do that by making sure it's not, it's, it's, it's horizontal, it uh, should be horizontal. So, he, so the Svarno says, his father says that all the other nations are children, but B'nai Yisrael are the most chashuv. It's Bechori. B'nai Yisrael is Bechori. So therefore, it would have been more precise to say, Shalach es B'ni. Shalach es Bechori. Send my Bechor. Why Shalach es B'ni? Okay, you hear that question? Why does it say Shalach es B'ni? Shalach es Bechori. So, just to review some of the questions that we've raised here. Okay? In other words, we wonder when, when what is the, when, when Hashem instructs Moshe what to say to Paro. Right? So he says to him, B'ni b'chori Yisrael. So what is the Indian b'chlal that Kai Yisrael is like a b'chor? What is that, what is the significance of that point? Number two is, why does Hashem tell Moshe this right away? When Moshe doesn't even, we don't see when he says it. And he, and he has many audiences with Paro. It's not until later on that he, not until later on, that he reveals the whole story with, with Makas Bechorus. So why, why is he, why does he tell him now? Number three is, well, how could they be Bechor when they're the 70th, 71st nation? Number four is, um, when, when it says, we, we point out the Midah Kineged Midah, right? Send my son, it should say, Shalaches Bechori, said my firstborn. Number five, not the order that presented it, is Rashi, that says, over here he was chasam, God signed on the Bechora, on the birthright that Yaakov took from Esau. How, what, what's the connection here? Where, where, where is Rashi, Rashi says that over here on, on verse 22. Okay, so, we have a word cut out, for, cut, out for, cut out for us. Let me ask a sixth question, and then we will begin to put it all together. And that is, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos tells us something very interesting. Some of you might be familiar with this Mishnah. The Mishnah says, chapter 3, in, in some editions, it's Mishnah 14. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva said, man is dear. 
Kaviv Adam, man is dear. So man is dear because he's created in the image of God. As it says in the Torah, God created man in the image of God. And then the Mishnah continues, not only is man dear, but he's especially dear. Chiba Yisera, special love. No da'aslo, shenivra v'tselem. Why? Because it's one thing to create God, to create man in your image. It's another thing to tell him that he's created in the image. And therefore the Torah says, in chapter 9, God informs Adam that he's created in his image. So it's one thing to create man in his image. It's another thing to tell him. By the way, a person could, you know, a person could be sitting person to be sitting on a ton of money, but if he doesn't, or on something very valuable, but if he doesn't know it's valuable, right, so then, in a certain sense, what good is, is it? The Gemara in Beta says, Hanotin matana lechavero, if you give a present to your friend, tarich lahodio, you have to tell him that you're giving him a present. If he doesn't know that it's valuable, you know, like for example, I have a very valuable car. I have a collector's item car. And if anybody, I, I'm not going to traded Stam for a Honda or a Toyota, but if you want to trade your Lamborghini or Bentley for my 1998 Buick LeSabre, I will share with you later on afterwards the great value of that car. And the tape, and the tape with the mirror, with the blue, special blue tape that I put on to keep the mirror working, that only adds to the, only adds to the value. It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing, right, that, uh, um, I don't know if you followed the story in New York last week, they, they sold in Sotheby's. They sold the Talmud, ninth, uh, the, 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 the initial edition, the Bamberg Talmud. The whole interesting story. If you read up about it, in Sotheby's was sold for nine point three million dollars. Um, the uh, an edition of the Talmud from the very from the Bamberg was Daniel Daniel Bamberg, not a Jew, but a Jewish typesetter, produced the first pr- uh, printed Babylonian Talmud. And for $9.3 million, um, and it comes from a collection, the Lunzer collection. Um, and it's, it's interesting is that it's this, without going into all the details, that this Talmud sat in Westminster Abbey for a long time. And what happened was that, what happened was that this guy Lunzer, who eventually bought it, he, wa- he wanted to buy the Gemara, but they, they refused to sell to him because Westminster Abbey doesn't really need the money. So they uh, said, I'm sorry, we're not going to sell it. So it was really untouched for hundreds of years. And then, without another story, he found out, this guy Lunzer found out that the Magna Carta, the Magna Carta, mm-hmm. like famous charter, the Magna Carta, Carta was actually one of the few editions, a few copies of it way, way back, was uh, on sale for a few million dollars. So he bought the Magna Carta, and then he went back to Westminster Abbey and he said, would you like this? And they said, yes, we would. He goes, okay, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. A Jew always finds a way. So, you know, you can have, there, there's no question that there are editions of the Bomberg Talmud in some garage in some place in New York. There's no question. There are a few of them out there. But some, nobody knows about it. If you don't know about it, you don't know. So it's, it might be there, but you have to show the worth. If you have to express the value. So it says the Mishnah that God didn't just create us in his image, but he told us to create us in his image. And then the Mishnah continues and says, Chaviv in Yisrael, the Jews are dear. The Jews are dear. Shenikru'u banim lamakom, because we are called the sons of God. And more than that, Chiba yetera no daslam, but they're even more dear because they're told because they're told that they're called children of God. As it says, now you would expect it to say, you would expect it to quote our Pasuk, because our verse is the first time in the Torah that we're told by God that we are the children of, it, the children of Hashem. Not just the children, but we are the firstborn children of God. You would expect that to be the verse. But it doesn't say that. Instead, the Mishnah gives us a verse in Devarim, chapter 14, speaking about when a Jew suffers a tragedy, don't scratch yourself, don't give yourself a bald spot. You are the children of God. 
And that's the verse that Rabbi Kiva quotes to indicate that we are especially dear to God. Because he tells us, he says, You, you are the children of God. So it's interesting to point out, it's interesting to point out that our Mishnah, that the Mishnah Pekiyavos, doesn't quote our verse. You have the question? Why does the Mishnah go all the way to Devarim and not mention, yeah, and not mention the Pasuk in our backyard the first time, why doesn't it mention that? So, that question is addressed by many of the commentaries. And I want to share with you maybe one or two answers, but really to get to the Indian that I want to talk about in a moment, about what the Indian of Bechor is, we'll, we'll segue with one of the answers. So this question again, why does our Mishnah, why does the Mishnah only talk about, why does the Mishnah only quote the later parts, like, you are the children of God. So, one answer, one answer that's given in the commentaries of the Mishnah by the Tosus Yontav is, maybe God was only speaking to that generation when he said, B'ni B'chori Yisrael. You are my firstborn Israel. Maybe God is only speaking at that time. You're my firstborn. But how do we know that for time immemorial, B'ni Matem Hashem Elkeichem? How do we know that? That's later on. Because in Devarim, God is speaking to all of the Jewish people. He's speaking in the context of mitzvot. Mitzvot apply to everybody. So therefore, we quote the later Pasuk. Why? Because Because it's speaking about mitzvot. That's one answer. That's given by the Tosus Yontif. Another answer, another answer is that maybe, maybe, Maybe uh, it's hard to imagine, understand how to say this answer in the right way, but it's brought down in the Mepharshim, that maybe Hashem is speaking in an exaggerated way to Paro. Because he wants to teach Paro, you know, the greatness of the Jewish people. Lahagzim ha'inyon be'ene Paro. This is brought down in the commentary known as the, in the Medrash Shmuel, the classic commentary on Pirkei Avot. Maybe it's lahagzim ha'inyan be'ene paro. Maybe that paro should be very impressed with the Jewish people. That when you speak to the to paro, when God tells Moshe to speak to paro, listen, pump it up a little bit, pump up the Jews, right? But when God speaks to the Jewish people directly, then it's banim atem la'ashem alokech. Then it's what? You are the children of God. Then we know for sure he's speaking to us directly. That's not a pumper. Okay. And those are not the main answers I want to share with you. But there's another answer here. And with this we will go a little bit deeper. That says, the Tosus Yontif says another answer. He says like this. He says, the first time that Hashem is speaking, B'nai Yisrael was not listening. The first time that Hashem is speaking, listen carefully, who is Hashem speaking to? Moshe. He's speaking to Moshe, and he's speaking to Moshe what to tell Paro. He, the B'nai Yisrael didn't hear it. But what does the Mishnah say? Chiva Yetera, special love God expressed <coughs> by showing or telling them who they are. By telling them who they are. But until they knew who they were, if they didn't know who they are, so then you can't tell. Yeah, it's true, the Jews are very great. But what are they told by God? God tells them, you are children. God never told them, B'ni B'chori. God never told them, you are B'ni B'chori. You are, what? You are my firstborn. He never said that to them. He told the Jews, you with me? He told the Jews, you are my children. He didn't tell them, B'ni B'chori, you are my, my child, my firstborn. So what does the Mishnah focus on? The Mishnah focuses on what God told B'nai Yisrael. Because that's what we have to know. We have to know who we are. So the Orachayim says, so why did God tell Moshe this 
Why did God tell Moshe this message of B'ni B'chori? Why was it important to tell him? One of the questions we asked before, why is it important to tell him now? He had many audiences. So Arachayim says, God told Moshe now to build up his own confidence in preparation for the long period of frustration during which Paro would constantly refuse to give in to him. In other words, the Arachayim is saying that in order for Moshe to be able to have the strength, the strength to fulfill a difficult mission, he had to know what would be at the end from the very beginning. You know that sometimes, right, we say this, we say this idea in Friday night, that a Kodesh Baruch created the world, and he created the world, listen carefully, Sof Ma'aseh, what am I about to say? Sof Ma'aseh, Vimachshava Tchila. That the end was in mind from the beginning. Architects, builders, have to know what they're going to plan at the very end. What's going to happen at the end from the very beginning. Moshe is the architect of the Jewish people. And Hashem is telling Moshe, Moshe, I want you to know what you are doing now. And it's going to be difficult. And power is going to give you a hard time. And the way it's formulated in the Psukim is that Hashem tells Moshe, and you should know that you should know that you're going to see all these miracles. And I'm going to harden his heart. And he's not going to listen. And it's not just the three miracles at the beginning. It's going to be Dam, Tzvardeya, Kinam, it's going to be all that stuff. And he's not going to want to listen. And what the Amarita Paran finally at the end, you're going to tell him, Koma Hashem Beni Bakori Yisrael. And we don't even find that Moshe told Parah directly this message, but the point is that Moshe heard the message from Hashem directly. Later on, the Torah doesn't feel it's important to, to, to tell us when Moshe exactly told it to Parah. Presumably, right before Makat Bakhari he told him. But it's important for Moshe to hear the message now. Why is it important to hear the message now? Because if you don't understand who B'nai Yisrael is, if you don't understand how important, right, you don't believe in the mission, there's no way you'll have the courage to be able to see it through. Believing in the mission is why Hashem tells Moshe, B'ni B'chori Yisrael. There's a very interesting comment. This is almost a, a, a digression, but you'll see how important it is as we go later on. Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman, the student of the Chavetz Chaim, Elchanan Wasserman said something very fascinating. Fascinating. He said, that, that later on, the Torah says, You are the children of God. Now, let's, let's try to, again, we're not looking inside the text. If you want to look later on, you can see it's chapter 14, verse 1. If I say, you are the children of God, what is the implication of that line? You are the children of God. What, is that, what does that import? Others are not. So, anybody notice a contradiction? What's the contradiction? Feel free to respond to this point. First Hashem says, B'nai B'chori Yisrael. B'nai so you are my what? You're my firstborn. What does that imply? Everybody else, there are other children. You're just my firstborn. Right? You're my firstborn. But there are other children. But, later on, later on, when Hashem gives a mitzvah, don't, you know, excessively mourn, don't mutilate yourself as a response to mourning, so then Hashem says, you are the children of God. That implies what? That implies, they're not the children of God. So Rabbi Khan Wasserman said something very interesting. He said, he said, that in the beginning, before Matan Torah, before the, before the giving of the Torah, B'nai Yisrael were not that separate from the other nations. They were not God's only children. We were like a Ben Bechor, we are like the firstborn, the most chasha, but we were among other children. But later on, the Torah is saying, You are children. That means to say, nobody else, are, nobody else is children. In other words, God's relationship, according to Rabbi Chanan God's relationship with the Jewish people fundamentally changes. Until the giving of the Torah, says Rabbi Hanan, 
we are children among other children. After the giving of the Torah, we are God's only children. We are Banu Atem. Now, I have no doubt that there are people that argue on, this, on, on that idea. And give me one second. But, and I'm not here to, to defend, to, to, uh, to support, but one thing that Rabbi Khan is saying is very beautiful. And that is that our relationship with Hashem has a, even though we are children, even if we'll say we are children among children, we have a certain aspect of uniqueness that no one else has. Right? As the Mishnah in Perkei says, everybody might be, have been created in the image of God, but only we are children. Right? What do you mean? But we are the firstborn. That means there are other children. There's some aspect of Klal Yisrael, which as we will see in a moment, is completely without any point of comparison. Completely unique. As we would say um, in fancy, fancy English, we are a singularity. Or in Latin, we are sui generis. We are one of a kind. One without peer. We'll try to understand that in a little deeper way. Yes, Barry. Okay. Let's, let's go back to this point. So, so we have this Mishnah Prikiyavos. We have this interesting comment of Rabbi Khanan. So now let's try to understand what is the Indian of being a Bechor? What is the idea of being a Bechor? What's that concept? Right? So there are many different explanations. But I'll just share with you what I think is probably the simplest. Um, this idea appears in the Meshachachma, appears in other farms. I saw a beautiful article by Chaim Sabato. He says this very, very wonderful concept. And I ask not to, in this context, I am not speaking about man versus woman. I'm speaking firstborn versus not firstborn. Says, says the Meshachachma and others, that the firstborn son is the one that transforms the husband, right, or the individual, is the one that makes him into a father. Right? He, one could even say the double portion because he he doubled his role, right? In other words, in other words, what happens is. The, 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 the firstborn son is the one that defined not only himself, but rather what? But rather, he defined the father. He defined the father. So the Maral says an amazing idea. Listen to this amazing idea. This is the meat of the shir. This is an amazing idea. Maral says, he says that when you see a, a, chi- you see a child, you know, let's say you go to a small neighborhood, and you know that there are only like, you know, 50 Jewish families, 100 Jewish families. You see a kid walking into the room. So you know he's one of 50 families. So you try to figure out who's, who, who's the kid. You never met the kid before, right? You come back, you come back. So who does he look like, you know? What are his mannerisms like, right? You try to sort of put the, fa- the eyes and you pierce the... You look at the, the facial, facial features. Try to figure them out. You try to figure out the father by looking at the kid. Try to figure out the father by looking at the kid. So the Maral says that what it means when we say that Klal Yisrael is, is the Indian of a Bechor, it means that there's only one nation in the world that when you look at this nation, you help me out, what is he going to say? There's only one nation that when you look at this nation that was, that you can figure out who was, who the father is. That by looking at Klal Yisrael, you can figure out who Hashem is. And therefore, there is only one nation, right, that when you look at the child, you won't, you know, sometimes you look at the kid and say, no, that can't be. You sure you're not adopted? We are, in our family, we have five kids, but there's one, and, and she's not adopted, but there's one of the five, she looks totally different than all the others, right? But the, so we always joked around with her, like, you know, are you sure? Like, but the point is, right? The point is that Klal Yisrael is the only child that you can say, ah, that child, he looks like he looks like his father. 
There's something special about that child. Thus, in Yeshayo chapter 43, Hashem says about Kla Yisrael, Atem Edai Neum Hashem. You are my witnesses. I don't want to get, you know, there's another religion that celebrates a lot of its things around this time. The witness people, right? But it means something different. Atem Edai. You are the Edim, right? Like we say Shabbos in the Aseret HaDibris, right? So we know it says the Ten Commandments. So the, 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 the fourth commandment is keep Shabbos. And on the other side it says don't be a false witness. Because a Jew who keeps Shabbos is being a witness to God, right? We, Klal Yisrael, everything that we do, right? We have that heavy responsibility. We are the ones that, that the world is looking at and saying, who is God? The concept of Kiddush Hashem and Chilo Hashem is a unique concept to the Jewish people. There is no concept of Chilo Hashem profaning God's name for Goyim, for Gentiles. It's only for Jews in this regard. right? The only time a Gentile can potentially profane God's name is if it's in the context of Jews. I don't want to go into the details of that halacha. So, so, what's the concept of Atem Edai Neum Hashem? What's the concept of, of a Bechor? It's that you, you, Klal Yisrael, through you, I am defined as an Abba. Through you, I am defined as a father. Says Rav Nissen Alpert, the student of, one of the main students of Moshe Feinstein, in a magnificent sort of analysis. What does it mean that we are the Bechori Yisrael? And what does it mean that God waited until now? You mean Esav and Yaakov? How does that fit in? And, and how does it work that, that you can buy the Bechora? And we're the 71st nation anyway. So, the, so, the, so, so uh, Alfred says a beautiful thing. He says like this, Mamash fantastic. He says, we know that you can define birth, right, or creation in a physical way or a spiritual way. So when is man born? So we know birth is when the body comes into the world. But by the Jews, we believe, it says explicitly in the Gemara, that the neshama comes into the world from the very first drop. You might have heard a very famous Gemara that says in Masech Sota that 40 days before the formation of the child, which means at the time of conception, because it's the 40-day mark that the body is considered to be in utero to have any significance whatsoever, but at the time of conception, it's when God says, this, this child is going to marry this person, and is going to have this field, etc. The neshama comes in from the very first moment. The guf comes later on. In spirituality, in spirituality, that which is conceived first, comes last. First, how do we say that in computers, right? We say, uh, uh, la- uh, last in, first out. Right? LIFO. Right? Philo, first in, last out. You know what I'm talking about? People know computers a little bit? Going back to my data structures days, or rays, etc. 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. I remember very precious little, precious little. So, what? What do you mean by that? Unless you're Jewish and you just like you come in first and you just stay <laughs> in the front of the door and then okay so anyway so I I had the occasion to go to my niece's wedding last week and it's, you know uh, we had to cross a certain bridge called the Atlantic Beach Bridge and there's only one lane for the people who don't have the decals and and it's one and, and it's like you know like everybody's going to the wedding it's like it's, you know and I'm looking around and like everybody's like fighting to get into that one line you know like. Like you know, all the different languages, and I look around, and this is like a, a from Jew. It's like a from Jew. We're all like fighting each other. Like, What's going on here? What's going on? <laughs> okay, fine. Anyway, that doesn't need to go. 
go into the whatever. The point is like this. The point is like this. What was I just? Oh, oh, thank, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, so Chazal say something amazing, and this point is said by Alfred and the Chassam Sofer, and independently, but they just say it in different ways. The Chassam Sofer says the rabbis say an interesting thing. They say it's true that Esav came out first, but the rabbis say, you know who was formed first? Oh. Yaakov. Look at Rashi and Perakafe in the Book of Bereshis. Parsha told us. Yaakov was Notsar Mitipa Rishona. Shabbos is at the very end, but it was created in the beginning. And by the way, just to put that in, in context, Shabbos isn't a day. Shabbos is a place. Shabbos is a day in this world, but there's a place that we're all going to, Be'ezrat Hashem, which is called Yom Shekulo Shabbos. That's the next world. This world is Erev Shabbos. You heard of that? What do we say? You know, Erev Shabbos is a very busy time. Right? It could be that uh, by in your house, right, as Shabbos gets close and Shabbos approaches, right, the shower action, you know, all that other, you know how it gets a little bit crazy, right? This world is called Erev Shabbos. I, the, 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 the rabbis say, work in this world, Misha Tarach Be'erev Shabbos, you work hard in this world, you'll eat well on Shabbos. That means to say, if you don't work hard in this world, you'll, you'll have tuna fish for Shabbos. Nobody wants a star-kissed olam haba. Okay? Misha Torah Be'erev Shabbos, Yochav Shabbos. That means to say, that means to say that in the world of the spiritual, that which is created last was conceived first. Yaakov was created last. He was conceived first. Says Rav Alpert in an amazing, amazing analysis. Mm-hmm. And he, he really connects this to a Pasuk in Shir Hashirim, where the Pasuk talks about the horses that ride, the, the horses which power rides upon. And the Medrash, he quotes an interesting comment of the Fike Yehuda that says that the soul and the body is like the horse and Paro. And the horse says, we go first. Paro is sort of like in the chariot. Paro is in the back. Right? Paro is in the chariot. We're going first. So, but it's true. But who's the one that's whipping the reins? Who's the one that's, who's the one that's directing? The one that's directing? That's the horseman. That what? That, that Shlomo HaMelech writes in Shira Shirim that the soul says to the body, you horses think that you are in charge. But Paro is the one who's reining you in. And therefore, isn't it interesting now, this is amazing. This, this point is amazing. What is the description of the birth of Esau? The birth of Esau, he comes out first. But who is Esau, Rabbi? Who's the one who's holding on to him? He's directing Esau. The Neshama is directing the Guf. The Neshama is powering the Guf. Of course, there's a big problem in the world, and that is most people don't realize that they have a Neshama. And most people think that the Guf is in control. And Madison Avenue and all good marketing wants you to forget about spirituality and tell you that what you have is really not enough. You need a lot more. And in case you don't know, Macy's is having a one-day sale. And in case you don't know, you know, Amazon is having a this. And in case you don't know, DanSteals.com, because if it's a yeshiva from guy, so then it's all that it becomes a hidden mitzvah bar. And all those other different things, right? And the whole world is like, and yet it's true that I have an LG... You know, whatever, and, but uh, since then there are five LG models better. You know, and life is, LG is life's good, but life isn't that good if you don't have the best model, etc., etc. So the MS is, the MS is, the truth is that this is the, the perpetual battle between the neshama and the guf. And comes, and, and comes Rav Alpert and the Chassam Sofer and say, this is what, this is the message that all the other nations of the world 
came first, and Avraham came last. That means to say that Avraham was the ultimate tachlis of the nations of the world. Like Shabbos at the end of the week, like Yaakov who's guiding Esau, right? The Bini Bechori Yisrael, but they came last. But they were so massive, Machshavat Chila. Bracious Baralukim, says Rashi, Bishvil Rashis, for the first. Yisrael Nikru Rashis. The Jews are called Rashis. They're not the first out in the world, the first in priority, the first in conception. Bini Bechori Yisrael, the first in conception. A Jew has to know who he is. A Jew has to feel a certain ga'ava, a certain healthy pride in being a Jew. I want to share with you a sad story. And then I want to share with you an amazing comment in Kabbalah. In the, I think it's the Zohar, we'll see. I made a quotes it. share with you a sad, but it's sad, but you'll see the point in a moment. One of my favorite writers these days is a woman by the name of Esther Sender. She writes in a, a magazine called Mishpacha Magazine. She writes 400 words a week or so. They're full of depth. Mom is full of depth. But I, I don't want you to read it because then I have nothing to say. So, so she writes, Rachel cried every morning. And she never knew why. Until yesterday, when her 85-year-old mother told her she had to go. I mean, the mother had to go off the phone, right when Rachel was talking to her. I have to go, right? All at once, Rachel realized her mother had been doing that for over 60 years. What could my mother possibly have to do at 85 years old that she doesn't have time to hear the rest of my story? Rachel says out out loud to no one in the empty den when she gets off the phone. And suddenly it hurts for the first time. But then she realizes it's not the first time it's hurt like that. Actually, at some point every day, it hurts exactly like that. Like when the grocer closes the door of the store in her face, even if it's closing time. Or if someone cuts her off mid-sentence, how when that happens, she curls up into herself and doesn't talk again for hours, and if it's someone close for days. She recognizes for the first time that just like there was the primordial sin in Gan Eden that we're constantly trying to rectify, she has an original hurt. And how almost every moment thought and emotion grow out from and are affected by her original hurt. As if these strings of the past still controlled like a marionette. Now she understood. Boy, did she understand. But it was good. It was the digging of a well, a deep hole in her soul, that allowed for greater blessing. And the deeper the hole, the more space there was to fill with joy, with understanding for another. Sensitivity. And it goes on, it goes on, and it talks about how a person, what does a person do with their hurt? Kalal Yisrael, the nations of the world, have, for the last several thousand years, the nations of the world have been telling us, you're a piece of garbage. You're nothing. Right? Who are you? You're an afterthought. You're, you know, we all know the messages. The messages. And if you're not sure what those messages are, just look at the world now. Right? In Berkeley, they, 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 they wave the Israeli flag, and you're in danger. You wave the ISIS flag, and you're given support. I'm not making this up. The world constantly is telling us, you're terrible, you're, sub, you're sub-real. But what will give Moshe and the Jewish people the confidence to be able to last out the mission until we are ultimately redeemed because Golos Mitzrayim is really a prototype for all of the subsequent exiles. The answer is the voice that God tells Moshe, Ko Amar Hashem. And by the way, he also told this to us because he told it to us in the Torah. And the Torah is the best-selling book in history. And therefore, even better than Jedi or whatever the other... Chazerai that's going on in the world now that sold a billion dollars, whatever it is. Komar Hashem b'ni b'chori Yisrael. Hashem says, "What you are my firstborn, Kal Yisrael." And I'm telling you this, Moshe, because you're going to have a lot of pain and suffering, and Paro's going to degrade you. He's going to he's going to try to 
make you forget who you are, but don't forget, you are not the end, you're the beginning, you're the primary, you're the apple of my eye, you're the apex, you're what I look forward to, you're the ultimate, you are my child, you are my witness, you're my Talmudian. And he's also telling this to us. In our own personal gullus and the gullus of the Jewish people, he's telling it to us as well. He's telling it to us. That's fine. Let me end with an amazing thing. With an amazing thing. So we, if you work it out, I think we've answered all the questions. Because really, this is a message to Moshe, and it's a message about the unique singularity of the Jewish people. On the one hand, we have an absolute mission to teach the whole world that there's a God. We have to what? We have to, and we are the first ones that worship Hashem. And, we're the, and, we're, and we are the ones that have to go and teach the world what it means that there's a Rebbe Hashem in the world. But we also have to know that Klal Yisrael, that we are the one who Hashem gave the mission of the very tachlis of creation. The only reason why God created the world is that we should be able to inform the world that He is there. To be mezake the world, to 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 bring the world to connection to God, which which is the only reality of creation. So now listen to an amazing, amazing comment. Which actually there was one question we didn't answer yet, which is why it says shalach as bini and not shalach as bichori. Remember that? Remember it should be send my firstborn. Why shalach as bini? So says the Rabbeinu Bechayei. I, don't, I can't tell you I fully understand it. But from what I understand, there's something deep and beautiful here. So here's what he says. He says that, he says, when he says, Shalach es bini, the truth is, when the Jew is in Golos, Ki biyoso begolos, Kara Yisrael bini. The Jews are called children when we are in Golos. Ki eich yikreenu bechori. How could you call how could you call them firstborn? After all, we are slaves at the behest Bereshus Adonayam Ubashibud Gadol. How could we be called Bechori? We are right now acting as children. We're not yet fully we have not manifested. it's true that we know internally we're be- we are Bechor. That's who we are internally, but we have not manifested in the world. So when when we are in when we are enslaved, we are Bini. And the Imtich and if you look in the text, he says, that just like God called B'nai Yisrael a Bechor, when did he call him Bechor? At the plague of the firstborn, Makas Bechoros, that's what it's referring to. Even though he tells them to right now, but it's only at the plague of the firstborn, because that's when the Jews are going to go free. So too God called himself the firstborn. As it says, Kadesh Ri Kol Bechor. You might remember that when the, we put on tefillin, we t- we, there are four sections of the tefillin. And we put the four sections on, and one of them is the section of what's called Pit of the, where God sanctifies the firstborn. And it actually appears in next week's Parsha, in Parsha's in Parsha both, two weeks' Parsha, where Hashem tells Kal Yisrael the mitzvah that all firstborns are holy and that they have to be redeemed. Pidyon Haben. You heard of that concept of Pidyon Haben, right? I'm a Kohen. If you need to be redeemed, please speak to me. Upeirush Kadesh Oti But the language of the text has another layer of meaning where God says, Kadesh Li Kol Bechor, which means make me, sanctify me as one of the Bechors. That means to say that a Kodesh Baruch Hu, when he calls Klau Yisrael a Bechor, Kimashe Kara Bechor Li Yisrael, Ula Atzmo Yisbarach, but he himself, God himself, is calling himself a Bechor after Makas Bechoros, after the plague of the firstborn, until B'nai Yisrael is redeemed. Until B'nai Yisrael is redeemed, God isn't called a Bechor. I'll explain in a second. Yitba'er Mizeh. What we are learning from this, says the Rebbein Mechai, Shahaya Imayim Betzaras Hashibud, that God is not a Bechor 
when B'nai Yisrael is not a Bechor. Because God is with Klau Yisrael in their pain. And just like the Ein HaBechor Nikeres Bahem, if you cannot find Klau Yisrael, if you cannot recognize Klau Yisrael as a Bechor, then you will not be able to recognize God as a Bechor. And therefore, the Medrash, the Sefer Bahir, famous Kabbalistic work attributed to Rabbi Ben Akana, one of the Tanoim, he says, Sefer Bahir, Shalu Tamid Lazar. The students ask of Lazar, what does it mean when it says Kaddish Li Kol Bechar? Bechihavi Achadish Baruch Hu Bechar? Is God a Bechar? Amalehem in. Yeah. God is a Bechar. And it says, Kaddish Li Kol Bechar. Shenis Kaddish, Vini Kaddish, Hashem Yisrael. That the Jewish people are sanctified, that God is sanctified by His people. Vini Bechari Yisrael. That means to say that when Klal Yisrael is in Shibud, God is also in Shibud. When Klal Yisrael is enslaved, God is also enslaved. That means to say, listen to this amazing concept, that means to say that when a Jew is feeling a sense of freedom and a sense of power, of Kedusha, feeling, shall we say, unshackled in his Avodah Hashem, then what he's really doing, and this sounds so new-agey and new-wavy, what he's really doing is he's empowering, giving koach to the Rebono Sholem. As we say, give God strength, whatever that means. When a Jew is manifesting himself as a Bechor, then he's really saying, I am the Bechor of the Bechor. I am the Bechor of Hashem. That is to say, when a Jew acts enslaved, is limiting other people's perceptions of God. If you're weak, God is perceived as being weak. And I'm not speaking about physical strength. And therefore we find in Sefer Devar and in Parshat Azinu, Sur Yeladichateshi, Rashi writes, that the God who created you, you have weakened. You have weakened him because you have diminished God's stature in the world by acting enslaved to the guf and not allowing the liberation of the neshama. The liberation of the neshama is the way in which we make God the Bechor. B'ni Bechori Yisrael. Let me conclude. Let me conclude uh, with another one final article, one final comment by Esther Sender, which is very beautiful also. And she writes, she writes as follows. This is such a, this is mamish, amazing. She says, I'm just going to get you in the middle here. I can hear his heart beating through my, the concrete wall as though it's beating in my own chest. Sarah says in her opening sentence, it's the beginning of a long monologue. I can't take feeling his pain, she says. What is that? Am I crazy for feeling it so strong? I just listen. What is that pain, that deep aching pain, she asks. When I see him, even if he's smiling, why do I want to cry? Not that I want to cry, it's like it comes when you go to the Kotel and you lay your head against the stones. You don't know why it comes. Everyone cries at the Kotel. You know how you walk to the wall thinking you're numb? Or trying to feel the grandness of it that you think your heart's gone completely cold? You turn to get close to the wall. She says, watch people's shoulders shake. Wonder, wonder if you'll have anything to say. Then a small space of that. You squish between. You can hardly hold your sitter up. Cracks in the wall hold prayers, she says. Cracks in a person hold love. There was once this woman, I remember she tells me she was a widow and we were trying to make a shit of her. She kept saying that no one would want her because she felt so broken. I said to her, it's the opposite. Because you are broken, there are grooves and crevices to hold the love. You know when people get all made over, renovated, siliconed and corked, sleek and smooth, and there's nothing to connect to or hold on to? You don't know how or where to get in? You lose your grip and you feel like you're slipping away from each other. You don't know how to get a foothold in their love and their need for you. She continues, then you come close to the wall, lay your head against it, feel those warm stones. You don't know why, but you cry. And your shoulders shake and you dive for things you didn't know were in your heart. And she talks about when a person feels a certain vulnerability, a crack, a crevice, 
It's dafka in that makom that they're able to feel a sense of connection and love. It's interesting that Hashem gives the appellation of Bani Bechori Yisrael dafka when the Jews are in the lowest place. Dafka when the Jews are mamish at the apex of their shibud. That's when Hashem says, you f- you're feeling very low, but in that place of vulnerability, in that place of cracks and crevices, if you cry out, you can lift up the neshama in a majestic and beautiful way. Nobody here should think, chas v'shalom, that if they're, that we're speaking about madregas, of course we're speaking about high levels, we all, we all can grow. But the reality is that a Jew's growth, his ultimate sort of climaxing to be the Bechor, begins place, begins away from the perceived physical reality. It starts with a small drop. The neshama, the neshama manifests itself in a very vulnerable way. And it's dafka in that makom of vulnerability that a Jew can cry out, a broken heart, the Katska Rebbe used to say, there is nothing as whole to God as a broken heart. Hashem should give each and every one of us the ability to believe and, and to plug in to the B'ni B'chori Yisrael. Be'ezus Hashem will be zochet to believe it and liberate ourselves. And Be'ezus Hashem to bring a Kiddush Hashem to Klai Yisrael. Thank you for listening.